Yo, yo, what's up, people? Hope you're all doing good and having a good week so far. On today's show is the one and only Harvey Mackay, who I've been saying his name wrong for a long time. So I actually introduced him wrongly on the podcast, but his name is Harvey Mackay. Harvey is one of my favorite producers out there, releases on Needed Pains, uh, which is Denson Beaker's label, also Drum Code, Filth on Acid. He's got an EP coming out, Soma Records. He's released on some very, very good records. His music is amazing. The first 30 minutes of the podcast is super geeky and we go really in depth of production techniques and things like that. So if you're interested in that, it's really interesting. If you're not interested in production geeky stuff, but more interested in industry and just general life stuff, skip on a little bit and we kind of get into that. I love this podcast a lot. Um, So without further ado, Harvey McKay. And we're live. Harvey McKay. How's it going, mate? So meet you. Yeah, I'm really good. I've just realized that a lot of people that listen to this are American and right. they're not going to understand a fucking word that you say. <laughs> no, they, they will, they will. I, I, I tune a lot in America, so I will. I, like, how I spoke to you, I'll, you know, I generally tone it down a bit because I do tour there a lot, so they, they get me. Where are you then? Are you, are you I'm, in... In Scotland, I'm in Scotland in Bodle, um, so I'm just literally... 10 minutes in train from Glasgow city centre, but okay. I live in a small, I'll eat a small village. It's absolutely beautiful here. So yeah, man, Scotland's amazing. I love that place. I've actually only been to Glasgow. I actually played a show in St. Andrews, like, oh, right. what? Andrews? like years ago. I was, right. I was like probably at 18 and it was St. Andrews university. Oh, right. okay. Had, had booked like someone, and they couldn't make it, so I ended up filling in for them. Right, okay. It was awful, but it's beautiful <laughs> up there. <laughs> Did you that? It was not a big scene in St. Andrews, man. What's, isn't St. Andrews, like, known for... Who Who was the, like, royalty that was there? Uh, me, I'm not sure, but I'm sure quite a lot of the, the royals head up there. But it's like, it's a really... St. Andrews is like, you've got the golf course. And yeah. It's just a really... It's a really beautiful place to go and visit and have a nice quiet break. So that's probably why it was the best place <laughs> to play a show. Put it this way, my mum just went there for a nice quiet weekend. Oh, yes. That's great. That's great. So next time you're up there, mate, she'll hit you up, get some guests. Come see your mum, yeah. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> First of all, dude, I, I need to say, so... We've never re- we've spoken on text a lot, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we've well, been yeah. we've been trying to write records, but we still haven't. Um, <laughs> I know. But I've got to say, Black Dolphin, okay, fucking amazing. Like, oh, thank you. that's that's the that's the first record that kind of put me onto you. Um, okay, and I know I was I've been hammering it for since it came out. Oh really? Still cool, man. Um, so yeah. Thank you for that. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> I love it. It's funny because on that EP, I mean, I still do like that tune and it's a tune that I still kind of like to play because it still does the business. And you know what it's like when, when you've played a tune, you've produced it a lot and you play it out a lot when you're DJing and then your sets evolve and you start playing your new tunes. But there are some you keep playing um, and I've not really fed up with that one yet and it always does seem to... It seems to be one that pretty much everybody knows because whenever you play it, everybody goes, they all know it. it. But on the EP, as far as records go, I actually would say I prefer the other track cover up. 
yeah as a as a as a as a track itself but i i would play black dolphin probably most sets and cover up every now and again but as a record i think cover ups probably just a bit musically more dynamic and different um and i've always liked the the both of those tracks have it but i've always quite liked the drums and the snare and cover up the they're quite aggressive, like it's flexing. I quite like that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. But I'm glad to glad to hear that you still like it so much, man. No, dude. If for me, it's like it was always it was always like a, a time I would play it in my sets to like change the mood up. Okay, yeah, because it's that in between. It's it's got it's got it is techno, but it's got a mild touch of tech house bones about it and that nice ravey vibe so it's tough but yeah it can slide in between that tech housey tech vibe yeah I think, so. I, I think also for me it has like although it has like melody and it has something yes. that people can kind of catch on to it's not just like a massive kick drum as like a techno roller if you know what i mean it's it's got yeah. it's got something else and it's kind of has like a bit more of like a surprise element people aren't when that comes in, people don't have a fucking clue that's coming in. <laughs> yeah, because I hold it right up to the very, very break. So it's just like a, you just think, oh, this is quite cool energy. And then it comes in and people are like, kind of like, oh, fuck. And everybody, I didn't exactly. expect that one. Exactly. At Dubfire used to do it years ago on, I can't remember what, oh, it was the Dubfire remix of Grindhouse, Radio Slave. Right, okay. Like, classic. But he did, it was something very similar to what you did with, with Black Dolphin. Um, and we need these tracks in our lives. They're just massive tools. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's quite funny. And like, I say this, like, it's quite a lot, but it's like tracks like that. It's really funny. Like I always remember it's like when I was kind of coming up with the beats and I got the beats and then I was coming up with that. I was playing about with one of the tile synths and I come up with that. Uh, uh, I started the patch from scratch and I built it up to that kind of radio patch. And as soon as I got the sound, Literally, I was just pointing about the keys and just that instant went right away. Instantly got it. it. The sound, as I said to my brother as well, it's like sometimes the tune just writes itself almost. You hear a sound and you go, oh, that's what it wants. You know, yeah. you can try and force something on it and it's like, no, no, no. But sometimes your brain just goes, I know exactly what it wants. Yeah. And also it's like, I've, it's those happy mistakes, right? When you're writing a record is that I don't know, I don't know for you, but for me, like most of my records that have been successful are just happy mistakes. Right. Okay. Just for me, you know it's just winging it. It's just winging it. And yeah. like knowing where I want to go with it, but not mm -hmm. knowing exactly. Mm -hmm. And then you click a button and you're like, there it is. There she is. Right. Yeah, I, I think I think for me sometimes it's um it's sometimes it can be that and then a lot of other times it's not that as far as sometimes I will just be like, right, I'm just gonna fuck about and see what I can get and it's like blah 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 and then like I'm literally I've just finished up an album just now. Cool. Um, and a lot of the tracks I've been sending to you recently, yeah. even the complete opposite, because I have really, 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 really been getting into the bones of synthesis right down to modulation of frequencies, yeah. octaves, everything. Really, really trying to get my head down to how sound works and not just going, oh, oh that, oh. It's like really thinking of what oscillators I'm using, how I'm modulating them. And, and then I, so that I'm not coming across a sound, like I'm kind of, I know roughly where I want to go and then I'll get it. And then 
the song kind of writes itself because I get the sounds that I want. So I'm a lot more in control of what I'm doing yeah. for where I'm headed. So like this album that I've wrote, there's a, there is quite a lot of variety in it, but you can hear a link between them all because I feel I'm a, I don't know, ever, because I mean, I've been doing, I did like a tutorial for Sonic Academy. Um, and that was a really good thing because when you do one, you write a track and then they say, right, we like it make it right so you've got to go right back to the very start yeah and then get to finished product and you can't just say oh here's a preset i like no you've got no. to so you've got to start from and then get it sounding into that yeah. so a lot of the stuff that i would usually be like I'll play with that I'll play with that I'll play with that which it does nothing wrong with that i had to reverse engineer a lot of the sounds that i built and then i slowly started slowly but surely understanding what i was doing more and more and more and then I, once I did that, I was like, right, I did a couple of sound design courses yeah. as well. And then see now when I just sit down, I'm like a kid in a sweet store. I'm just like, bang, 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 bang. And I'm just like, this, the, the, the sounds that I'm getting are so much more superior sonically that they set the sonic palette for the rest of the tune, which has just brought the tracks right up. And plus the tracks have become a lot more musical as well, I think. Yeah. Um, so I, it's been it's been good, man. Been which good. which I think this is this is what I really like with what you do. And there's like a a handful of other artists that I feel do the same. Dents and Pico are kind of a good couple of guys that do very similar things. Where there's melody in a record, Dubesk mm-hmm. does it as well, pretty well, especially in some of his unreleased stuff. And for me, it's kind of really refreshing. I'm I'm not a huge fan of like just massive just a, a massive kick drum and like the the same acid or same hoover sound or the same thing that everyone uses if you know what i mean it's for me it's just not like if you can write a club record anyone can write that mm-hmm. um f- for me that i really enjoy doing and listening to other people do is like actually writing melody in techno because it's, I, I, people are going to be shouting and screaming at me because and saying there's loads of melody in techno. Is what? Well, yes, there is, but it's all the there same. Isn't, there isn't. There isn't. I know exactly what you're saying. It's, the it's, majority of records follow a pattern, and it's barely melody. A lot of it. It's very, very predictable structure. Yeah. And what you're talking about it's something that really. That, that really adds a groove and and, 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 a, and, a, and a bit of soul to a record, but still has that groovy energy that makes it a big record. So this yeah. is the thing, it's trying to add character and tone and personality, but still have that really stripped back energy. And it's that balance that I think is the thing that makes records stand out more than just the very predictable structure of a lot of stuff that we hear in the charts today, I think. No, I, I totally agree. And I think... I think for me, I've spoken about this many a times and, and it'll be interesting to hear your kind of thoughts on it. But when I first started playing, I used to play like funky, soulful house, like Frankie Knuckles shit okay. and like old, like defected classic. That's what I started playing. And all of that has, all of it has melody. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of it. A lot of it is sampling like real instruments and guitars and exactly, stuff. Exactly. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of the old like Detroit, Detroit house stuff, Detroit techno stuff. Although it's Detroit, although it's techno, it, it all has like melody. 
all has like a, a synth. It all has a piano line. It all has something in it. And you're just like, oh, there's something different about this that just like, it gets you grooving, if you know what I mean. And for me, I, I stopped making records with melody for a while when I was doing Dirty Bird stuff. And that, that's kind of what really got me to back to it is that I just need to write a music that can carry itself by just the music mm. or even if it's a vocal with melody or something like that or, and being able to, I think I've, what I've done recently is I've written a lot more songs with mm -hmm. writers, but obviously that's based on a chord structure yeah, and yeah, yeah. It, I don't know. It's like, I, I think what you're doing is right. Is is just, uh, it's doing what other people aren't doing at this moment in techno. And I think the thing is as well, it's like, it's like a, a lot of the stuff that I've been doing recently, um, like it sort of reminds me a bit of like the older border community and Guy Gerber and stuff like that. It's like more, the more melodic, the way like the stabbing basses really bounce about and they're yeah. really, they're really like, they've got loads of, uh, kind of swing delay just on the right 16th note to really give it that skippy dance but they're, they're quite dark in the in the chord structure which keep what so you've got this melody but it doesn't make the song happy it's kind of a bit twisted and and dark but really gets you moving in a positive way and I think I think it's like trying to because that's one of the things I'm a real big fan of the older old kind of border community Nathan fake and James Holden stuff but a lot of that was was very, very technological and very, it, like, production-wise, it blew your mind. Yeah. But some of it was a tiny bit rigid, and, I, and, I'm, and I've been inspired with that, but trying to do it in a far more just groovy, energetic, dance floor way, but what a lot, but what a lot of the same kind of vibes, if you catch what I mean. Yeah, totally. Totally. And with regards to the album that you're writing, is it all 4-4 four, four, or are you doing non-4-4? Four, four? No, I've done a few things. I've, I've already done three things that are not 4-4. Four, four. Nice. Um, and what, just as I say, one of them sounds really, it's kind of got a bit of a kind of border community sound with the synths in it. Um, the track called March of the Orcas, because um, there's a synth in it, it sounds like a whale and it's like really slow. And, um, and there's another track, one of the tracks that you actually like the track, it's a track called uh, Sequence 4. Yeah. Do you know the track yeah, Sequence I remember four? that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sequence 4, I've always loved that track. I don't know if you actually sent me a message saying that one, yeah, how much you love that one, but it was, when I wrote that track, one of my really good friends, Gary, Gary Beck, um, he was, um, when I was writing that, unfortunately, his, his, his dog uh, was, pa was passing away and it was really young. Gary's a really good friend of mine. I've got, we've both, it was, I've got a collie, this dog was a collie. And I don't know when I was writing it, it was just like, it's a really powerful record, but it was, that record's quite sad, but it's it's quite euphorically sad. Do you know yeah. it's sad, but quite uplifting? Yeah. And when I was writing that song, I don't know, it's always been linked to that point in time when that was happening. And I always thought I'd love to write just an instrumental and just like, so, and and it's, so that's the, going. I think that's going to be the first track in the album. Amazing. And that's called uh, Sequence 4 and it's called For Riley Edit. So, um, and it's honestly, when you hear that track, I, and when, it's not just that track with the with the beats cut out. It's all those parts and I just completely re-engineered how the building up structure of it looks. I didn't just take away the drums. 
I took away the drums and then started rebuilding it with all the same yeah. thing. But it's so you've got that instrumental. The, the the other one, which is I've just I think it's only like 105 BPM, and then there's a couple of ambient bits I'm working on, and then the rest of them are dance tracks, but they're all very very different. So that gives yeah. you the diversity. There's like um, there's a track called Father in it, and that's one of the ones that sounds like the kind of Guy Gerberi one. And then I've got some really really aggressive ones, then some really banging ones, and I've got one that's like a I've, I'm not confirmed whether this one's going on the album but then i've got one that's like 139 do you know what i mean so there's just a massive uh variance of different kind of yeah. although there's a lot of four four in them they're all very different it's not just techno 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 and then that's it done do you know what i mean i'm trying to be a bit more uh, creative in what i do that excites me a little bit because i think i had i had think i had the same conversation with i can't remember who last last week or maybe the week before about albums in dance music i've definitely had this conversation many times with mates and it's like i really really want to write an album but i don't want it to be house music and right. i think yeah. that's the thing i i obviously it will have a couple of house records but I, it excites me that you're not just doing techno 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 because then you it's really just a, a big ep i wouldn't call it person like for me i wouldn't call it an album like i get excited when like house artist like let's say like justin martin for instance um mm-hmm. his first re- his first album ghettos and gardens personally is like still one of my favorite albums ever and majority of it isn't even house it's just like all over the shop but it just like flows so well and i think that's really important yeah. because a lot of people don't realize that we actually write different music we're not just writing club music we write club music because well, we absolutely love it but also because it's our jobs as well yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need music to play in the clubs um yeah. or we need music to sign to labels to then get booked in clubs yeah, yeah 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 um but i think an album is like a career i think once you've done an album for this is only me and this isn't saying that everybody that doesn't do an album sucks because i haven't done an album yet but <laughs> <laughs> i think um and i think it's like a a, a career achievement where mm-hmm. once you've done an album, it's like, okay, I've done it now. Like, mm-hmm. anything's kind of do. I was just listening to the Elton John uh, audiobook. Mm-hmm. And uh, back in the day, they were releasing like two, three albums a year. Crazy. It's mental. And like, all of them were like hits. Like, all of them went yeah. platinum. It yeah. was just like, how, like the amount, like, I don't know how much you write. I'm pretty sure you write a lot. I write a lot, but two albums worth that you're you're just nailing them out i think sometimes you just i don't know i think sometimes you just hit this this place and i've had it a few times like where i've had periods where i've been really really productive um and i've went through i'm actually trying to give my ears a wee bit of a break at the moment but literally since the lockdown the first month you couldn't pay me to write a record i could not i'm up <laughs> Fuck, when are we going to be gigging again? Is there any point when we're not going to get any shows? And I'm not damaging my ears for God knows when I'm going to get, get and all this kind of stuff. And then I did that that um, tutorial for Sonic Academy, reverse engineered the stuff. And then I was like, oh, I just was like, this whole new world was open up to me. Yeah. And I think, I think the more you know how to use your equipment and the more knowledge you get, I think the more creative you can be. And recently... Honestly, I, like, I have just not stopped writing music at all. I think, like, in the past, 
in the past like eight weeks to ten weeks, I've probably wrote, and I'm not joking, probably wrote about 16, 17 tracks. That's amazing. Of some of the best stuff I've ever written. Yeah. And I, and it's just every time I sit down, it's just it's not like, oh, there's a track. It's like gold, gold. Yeah, yeah, gold. yeah. And I'm like, holy fuck. And it's just, and it's, and as I say, it's, uh, I think, it'll be the same with these guys as well. They've probably reached that point in their career where they just know exactly what they want and exactly how to get there. Because, yeah. I mean, I've been, I was talking to Gary and it was like, Gary Beck and the, I've been sending him, he didn't know that I was actually planning to do the album. And I've been sending him stuff all the time because Gary plays very different stuff to me. Yeah. Um, plays a lot heavier. But he's, as I say, he's like, no matter what, he's Gary's like, if it's quality, it's quality, whether it fits or not. Totally, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, totally. Um, and and I, everything I've sent him over the past while, he's like, gold, gold, gold. Love it. Every single one. He's like, dude, you need to do an album. This is, <laughs> like, you're, you're sending me like a finished tune every day or every second day. And he's like, and, and it's just been, as I say, it's been a great period for me. But the only thing is I've literally, I usually stop because I run out of ideas. But this time I'm kind of having to stop because I'm like, I really need to give my ears and breath. Because at one point I was just like, oh, all I'm doing is just sitting here all the time yeah. at my studio. And I'm just like, right, I need to give my, it's my ears for a start. Because I, I find it very hard to work quiet. Try, try to make techno quiet as murder. I agree. I've always, got, I've always got it whacked up and I'm like, right, I need to give the ears a, a break. But yeah, it's been, I know what you mean when you, when you, when you, like, when you see some of the, the, the the albums that people do and how many of them do. But to be honest, it's been that productive over the past while. Like, I, I feel like, I mean, maybe it might stop. Maybe I might get to a point where I'm ah, oh, fuck, I've run out of ideas. But I'm kind of at a place just now where I feel it's just been endless, yeah. um, which is great. I've, ne- I've never, I've had periods before where it's been really good and then it's just dropped off. Yeah. Um, but... But usually, I tell you about that. Is usually, usually that's because I'll get some new banks or 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 some something like that, and I'll be using them. Because what I'll do is I'll get I, like I'll get my all my drum sounds and some samples and stuff, and I'll build everything from scratch. Do you know what I mean? But like some new sounds that I'll get and stuff like that will inspire me, and then I'll then I'll get then I'll use them all, and then I'll be stuck and I'll be like, right, oh, I need some new sounds to inspire me. But I think the difference is is now I'm making all the sounds from from sine wave and pulse waves from scratch. So I'm not running out of sample because I'm not using them anymore. Yeah. I very really, I very really the only samples I'll use is drum sounds. Yeah. And I'll load them into a drum machine and I'll layer them up and filter them and distort them. And even now I'm starting to get into actually making drums from scratch or by synthesis. Yeah. Um, but I literally I'm loading up a synth and a drum machine. And I think rather than starting with the samples, and I think that's why I'm not running out of ideas, because I'm creating my content from utter scratch and yeah. I think that's making a difference. That's amazing though, because for me, I was completely the opposite. So when lockdown started, <laughs> I was like on it. I wrote, are you, are you joking over there? <laughs> no. oh, yeah, yeah well, I was laughing. I was like, does he mean on it? On it? Oh, <laughs> oh, making music on no, it? Make it? Making music on it. And, okay, okay. um, I think a lot of people were on it. Yeah, true. No, I I wrote a lot, a lot of records and probably, again, probably some of the best records I've ever written. And July, it just dropped off. I didn't write a single record. Just like, Uh, couldn't write anything. And now I'm like back on it again. But going into 
you making the sounds and everything like that yourself, have you delved into the world of modular synthesis yet? Yes. Yes. Oh. yes, yes. <laughs> it's mind, like it's mind blowing. I, I I don't I I I don't pretend to know that I am fucking some sort of scientist on it, but <laughs> it's like like I did I did a <coughs> I did a course on modular synthesis because as I was starting to really really get to sense, I was like I really want to understand, and once I started really understanding modular synthesis and how just slightly changing all the sound waves and like having your certain oscillators and affecting each one and by modulating <coughs> each one in a different way, the complexity or variance and, and slight modulation of each sound wave makes the overall sound far more interesting to the human ear. Yeah. So <coughs> totally blew my mind. I mean, I'm just delving my toe into the water with it. Yeah. Um, uh, but <coughs> sorry, give me a second. Have a drink, mate. <laughs> oh dear. <coughs> I think I swore, I think I that in there. <coughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's a total head fuck. And when you the guy that was doing the course, I mean Jesus Christ, it's just like some of the stuff he was showing is like it would be adding this, adding this, adding this, adding this, adding this, and it'd be so complicated. And then the next minute, like, ring, ring, like that's the phone noise. And you're like, what the? F-? And the <laughs> stuff he had to do to get that was just mind blowing. Yeah. Like up an octave minus this five, that 100 hertz thing, ding, ding. You're like, oh, hey, hold on a minute, mate. <laughs> Back to that one step at a time, you know? <clears throat> yeah, I there's a synth shop in Bristol. <laughs> you're right over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> There's a simp shop in Bristol. I can't remember the name. Sorry, simp shop. Um, and <laughs> they they have like a modular rack. And every time I go in there, I just look at it and I'm like, I'd love to be able to play with you, but I don't have a fucking clue. <laughs> you know what, though? Here's the thing. Right? I might need to get a drink because I keep coughing. Here. Like, could you get me one go, second? Go get a drink, man. Yeah, go get a drink. <laughs> in the meantime... Uh, <laughs> Whilst Harvey McKay is dying, this podcast has turned into a proper one for the geeks. So anybody that doesn't have a clue what we're talking about, I will not be offended um, if you uh, turn off. But if you want to learn, this sounds like you're going to learn a lot from this one. Um, and he's back without coughing, hopefully. Thank you, minutes. Or without choking. <clears throat> right, fingers crossed. Right, so the thing is, you're saying like a bit, playing with stuff and stuff like that. The thing is, a lot of these synths that you use, that you understand, they have just really obvious, easy, quick pathways yep. built into the synthesizer. It's dead simple to understand, but they're very limiting in what you can modulate. Yeah. So modular synthesis is basically the same thing, but you can literally send anything to anything, right? Whereas a normal synth, you can maybe send that LFO to that and maybe modulate that filter with one of your oscillators, but that's you've got a very limited section, right, of what, what, what can change what. But with modular, you can literally almost plug anything in to modulate anything else, and that's what makes it better. Yeah, totally. I think um, there's a Arturia do, I'm sure there's loads, but Arturia do a VST that's, I think it's called Modular V3 or something like that. And it's kind of like how reactor what uh, reason was um where you can literally just patch anything it's just that hardware vibe yeah 
but I get it. I get bits of it. And then I'm like, yeah. oh, you know what? I just know, I know what I need to make on a normal synth. So I'm just going to yeah, yeah, make yeah. it, but I would love to like buy just the rack and just try. I think, I think the way, the best way that would work for me is buy a rack and literally just get a couple of things and then learn yeah. a couple of things as much as I possibly know, and then add more, more onto it. Yeah. I think so, man. I think so. It's one of these things as well. It's like anybody that's getting into music, I would advise them to stay well clear of that for a long time because it's a rabbit hole. You could go down for the rest of your life and never make a song. So it's something that's good to get into once you know what you're doing to really up your knowledge base and what you can create. But it's not something I would go, right, I'm going to get into that and then write some music because you'll not write any. You'll just be sitting plugging everything in and making telephone noises with no songs. It's true. You know? Literally everybody that I know. So I, I remember I went, was doing some work in Berlin with Jamie Anderson years ago and he shared his studio with, I can't remember who the guy was, but the guy would, they would, they would like do shifts. So Jamie would have it in the day and the, the other guy would have it at night. And I walked in the studio, it's in like, uh, I can't remember where it was, but it's in like a, in a basement tunnel where lo- loads of studios are. You walk in and there's loads of like, loads of modular stuff. Right. And I was like, mate, do you use any of this? He was like, no, I actually want to write music. I want to complete a record. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, the guy that, that uses this just never finishes the record. He just literally just plays around, hears some bleeps and blops and kind yeah. of never finishes. One of the things I used to laugh at as well, like I find, like, I mean, like <clears throat> I've always had the odd bit of hardware kicking about because I find, I find when I'm writing songs, I find, I find, VSTs are amazing for getting ideas down, right? Yeah. And I find for synths, for like pads and, and leads and stuff like that, I think VSTs are tremendous and do the job. But when it comes to bass lines and thick, nice sounds, I think I will get something going and the computer is a great idea. And then I will go, right, I'm going to take that noise out and I'm going to put it in my mug or the cork or yeah. something. So I'll get the idea down. And I'll get everything done because it's so quick because you can spend so long getting this linked and doing all this. I'll get the idea down and then I'll transfer that noise from there. That also means you need to know what you're doing because you need to try and get that sound on that similar. But usually, I can usually get it. But um, it's like I used to say like, like some of my friends that like they see the people that have got like tons and tons of equipment, they write fuck all. Yeah. They write up, they write nothing. Like one of my friends, I remember I went round to his house and his house was just full of gear. I said, mate, I said, see if I tripped over and fell into that, I'd write I'd write an album. There's so much happening. There's just there's stuff everywhere. Do you know what I mean? And you end up playing with it so much yeah. that you don't get anything fuck it. And I can understand it because it's fun. I mean, one of the things, one of the one of the other things as well is like, it's like I was trying to say to people about music is when they start is like playing about and getting ideas. It's, it's great fun writing them down and getting the ideas developed to have, but because you yeah. can just sit and play with those loops for hours. And it's, I mean, I used to just sit in the house and I used to, be, I would just sit and smoke weed and just play with loops for like the whole night. And then I'd just be like, I've just wasted six hours and get nothing done. It's great fun. But, Sometimes you need to have some discipline and go, right, let's get this on the fucking page. And then you see where the problems are, I think, sometimes. See, for me, I I have, like, really bad OCD when it comes to writing music. That if, okay. 
I write the idea and I have to finish the record straight away. Um, so I'll go back, I'll go back to it, but I, I'll sit in front of an idea for an hour and then I straight away just arrange it and write it because otherwise, otherwise I just won't ever finish it and it's just pointless. And then I'm, I'm like lying on my sofa at the end of the day being like, I did fucking nothing today. And that just hurts me even more. <laughs> but I, I agree to like, there's so many people that just don't finish the record. And even, even if the record's shit, even if it's going to be the worst record you've ever written, just finish it and then you can tie it off. Totally. Yeah. I, used to, I used to say that to people all the time. When I do, I do like some of the demonstrations in the clinics and stuff and producing records and showing them how to write records. And that's one of the things I used to say all the time. Finish every record. Yeah. Even if you don't like it, finish it. Because if you don't finish it, like, you're never... Because a lot of people will write a record and they'll get to a point and be like, ah, fuck it, and they'll start another one. And, I'm, and I used to say, if you're writing a record and you quit halfway through, you've not figured how to get that tune from A to B. And every time you finish it, you might come up with a new technique to get it from that part that you're struggling with. Yeah. And then that means that's in your toolbox. And the next time you come up against it, you'll be like, oh, I could try that. That didn't that track. Yeah. If you don't finish it, you don't learn anything. It was the same. My brother years ago, <clears throat> Ryan, and he started me when he's making music and some of the stuff he was sending me, like the ideas were fucking amazing, right? But he would never lay them out. Or if he did, like the development was not great. And I'm like, you need to get them laid down more. Like, like stop sending me ideas and start sending me tracks. Just lay yeah. them out. And then slowly but surely he would start writing more and more and more. And now his arrangement is like mind blowing, like yeah. way better than mine. Like, because a lot of times he's that way where, like, an alias that we did together, like, I learned a lot from it was great for the two of us. He learned a lot from me and I learned a lot from him. One of the things that he was great at was when we were writing music, doing the alias, the alias project we did in drum code and stuff like that, and some of them on uh, Edison Peters label, is that when we would do stuff like we would be writing a record and I would go to do something and be like, nah, let's try and think of some new way. Let, that's been done too many lines, times. Let's think, think of something different to do. Yeah. And it kind of made me go, oh, right, okay. Like I'm just maybe, I'm maybe just, and, it, and then that, that forced me to try and not use my toolbox and try and think of new ways. So that was even pushing myself even further. But yeah, it's get, get the tracks finished. And when you're saying that it's OCD, like, I, I'm not, I'm not quite the same as you. Like, I would, I'll play about with an idea and I'll develop it, but I'll spend a long, long time on it. Like, I use uh, Ableton and I use it in the, the live performance of the clip view. Yeah. And I'll spend a long time, and all I'll sit with is just a filter, <clears throat> and I'll just be clip, playing through the clips, and I'll just be, just seeing what, what clip. Uh, structure works best get into the next bit and into the next bit and I'll try and get that track sounding as amazing and as close to finished as I can on the live performance view yeah. before I record it in the page because I find when I do that and I record it on the page it's so much more organic because it's funny it was one of my friends years ago <clears throat> he had uh, I'd never used so now like people just for people watching right when people perform live, they use like a thing in Ableton where they have all their little, like their bass lines and their hi-hats and they go down each 
line and it triggers new things, right? Yeah. But I'd never really used that for writing tracks. I'd always arranged them on the pages, like along as you see people in their videos and stuff, right? Yeah. But then I seen my mate, like we were working on a project together, and then he was going, oh, here's what I've done. And he was clapping through it. I'm going, I've never used that before. So I went back and I tried it, and I was like, oh, I prefer it a lot because I can sit and groove and go, right now, rather than drawing the blocks in and the page and going back and listen to it, I can sit and go, drop, and then bring the next bit in. And I'm in it, like, I'm in the performance. And the first track that I did, that I did that, was one of the first tracks that I had a sort of hit with. Yeah. And it was a track called Nightwalker on Soma. Richie Horton literally played that 24-7. And that was that did massively well. But that was the first track that I did did with the performing kind of live and then recording it. And I've done done that ever since. And ever since I did that, I just feel the energy of how a track develops is just so much more organic for me i've i've literally never heard of anyone writing a record that way and it's amazing because it's kind of how it used to be right on like a hardware mixer is like you would drop things in and out when it feels right and there's still some like old school kind of producers i think mr g still does it on a on everything's hardware and he just does it on his mixer i'm pretty sure don't quote me on that but it's that's i've never heard anyone do that and it's kind of interesting to the thought is like you're almost DJing live. You're almost performing yeah, you're live. DJing, yeah, you're DJing the record. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah, you're DJing the record out almost. So basically, it's like you imagine when you've got the track finished in a club, right? But you imagine you could control when you brought all those elements in specifically to give the best energy in the club. Well, that's kind of like what I'm doing to decide the final arrangement of the track. So rather than getting all the parts and then laying them out as blocks, I'm like almost giving it to myself as a DJ and then I'm kind of DJing with it. And once I've done that, I record it, then I start tweaking it and then I feel that's that's what kind of works best for me. No, I, I really like that. It's I, I, I write in Logic, so you can't really... You can, yeah. you can do it now. They've, they've, right, really? they've, right. they've brought a new thing in. I don't have a fucking clue how to use it and I'm probably never going to learn it, if I'm totally <laughs> honest <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's no right or wrong. It's like whatever works for you. If you can get tracks done and it works for you, then it's fucking it's a way in it. I no, I totally agree, and I think that's the thing, is at the end of the day, it's whatever the end project product is that you've got. And if if people are playing it and if it sounds great, then great. What I what I do totally agree with you on is about running things through like a hardware kind of instrument a hardware synth the drum machine i use uh the ads7 drum machine um okay which is like made by avp i i use that for pretty much all my hats and for me that like it's for me it's about getting like the the sound that you want to kind of perceive or Mm. that you want people to perceive you as and I want people to know that oh that's a Will Clark if you know what I mean. I think Maceo Plex does it really well. He ha- his drums his drums are like you know it's a Maceo record by by his drums. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. And for me, it's about finding a couple of instruments, a couple of sounds, a couple of things that just really give you your sound, if that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, go mm-hmm. for it. Go for it. 
Yeah, and I, 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 th- I think also the whole like running things. Like if you were to write a baseline on 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 Ableton and then you run it through your Moog or you remake it on your Moog. For me, I was listening to I was listening to a record that I wrote ages ago the other day, and the baseline was fucking good. And I was like, "Why does the baseline sound so good?" And then I went into the project and realized it was my Moog. And yeah. I think at that time, you, I don't realize that how much a hardware instrument does benefit the the whole kind of project. But when you come back to it, when you come back to it. You're just like, oh shit! Now, now I get it. And don't get me wrong, you can. I I do think you can get the same sound nowadays in VSTs. You can, but there has to be a whole lot more processing done to get to the the finished product, where you can just put your Moog on or put your whatever synth you want to use, and it just sounds fucking great from from the get go. Mm-hmm. I yeah I, I I agree and don't agree at the same time. I agree that uh, with with since you can you can just like use your hardware synth and it sounds great right away. I still think bass wise and nastiness. There's a certain nastiness that I still struggle to get, and I I've really sat for a long time with like. A soft synth and a hard synth, and I've sat and I've played and processed and just been like that, like right, geeking for hours, yeah. trying to get it sounding the same. And I think you can get it really fucking close to the point. If I let you hear it, you wouldn't know you the wouldn't difference. Know. Yeah, but yeah. if I went, eh, 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 you go, okay. If you compare them, there is a slight difference. But I mean, is that just been a bit anal about it? But I mean, I, I think, but as far as when you're saying, at like for certain toys to get your sound. I feel, uh, I feel with myself, it's not the toys that I use to get my sound. I feel it's more the frequencies that my brain is tuned into getting, yeah. like, and the processing that I use to get them there. So, like, you're saying, you're saying, like, you use certain things, right? Which, which, I, I mean, I do, but like, when I'm Going through and I'll be looking for kicks of like ding 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 and I'm like right like that one ding 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 I like that one and I'll layer up two or three and then I'll put some destruction on them some saturation some filter resonate a few bits and bobs and boom and there you go and it's not as much the equipment that I've used but it's more the way that I yeah. select all the sounds and how I process them to get that sound and it's the way that my brain sonically works for I just I hear I hear a sound or a frequency and I'm like bang that's it. And then it's the way that I it's the way that I treat them or transpose certain things and play about with their balance about it's how they all interact together. Totally. I think that's what I'm saying. Everybody's got their own process on how to get to that that result, which is neither is right or wrong. It's like you've got it's like we were talking about that synth course. Like one of the things a guy did that's really impressive. He's like, if you want. If there's any tunes you want to know how to make, send me them and I'll, re- I'll rebuild them for you, yeah. right? And the guy sent a track and he rebuilt the song, right? He's like, this is it, had this and it had this and it had this. And he's like, and I said to him, I said, do you, how, do you know that are you 100% sure that you do, your, like how you got there is the exact same way as he got there, he went, that's a good question because he says, I'm pretty sure that I've used the same process to get that, right? But maybe I've not. Yeah. Maybe this guy's done this, this, and this to get here, and I've done this, this, and this. 
Well, we've got the same result sonically, but maybe we took different directions to get there. And I think that's the same with music. It's just, I think everybody has uh, an end result that somehow they get, but maybe, as you say, you like using certain equipment to get that sound that you like. Whereas I feel it's it's how I select things and the way I treat them that gets what I like. But it doesn't matter. You get to where you want to get and I will get what I want to get. Yeah, I totally agree. And going back to that, um, like the deconstruction of other people's records when people are trying to copy or like you type in how to write a Harvey McKay record or how to write a whatever type, of whatever record. They're actually really interested in tutorials and there's a lot out there that are really good and you can learn a lot from them. However, when they're deconstructing, for me, and tell me if you, do, if you disagree, but there's never the vibe of the original record. So, so for me, it's like, okay, yeah, you've made the sound. You've made it sound... Technically, it sounds like it, right? But it goes back to what you're saying is like how you you produce is different to how other people produce it. Like, let's say, for instance, somebody somebody tried to remake Black Dolphin. Let's just use this for example, okay? But, but... It's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same. And that's the amazing thing about this is that... I could I could make I could make Black Dolphin again and it's not going to sound like the original Black Dolphin. I could try and go and make a Maceoplex record, but it's still not going to get that Maceoplex vibe. But yeah. I can go make a Will Clark record and it sounds like a Will Clark record. <laughs> and and Maceo can't and Maceo can't make a fucking Will Clark record. And and yeah, and it yeah, all yeah. the same is like but I think that's the amazing thing about writing music and just getting involved we all do our own little things we all do tiny like when you're in the studio with somebody and this is why i generally only really like to do collabs when when you're in the same room you learn so much i've learned so much so many things like shortcuts different ways to process from just other people and for me that's that's the whole point of it is just trying to learn as much as i possibly can just to see how i can do it differently so you might process your drums this way. Yeah. I might then go and process them the same way you do, but then do something different. And I think yes. I think that's what this is about. I think this is what, like, at this moment in time, obviously not now because no one's DJing or anything like that, but there was a, there was been a long time where it just feels like a lot of records are just, they're just fodder, right? It's just like... Uh, yeah. It's so fucking similar. It's depressing. It's so depressing. Like I was listening to. Go on, go on. I get, I get a lot of. Sorry, I think there's a wee bit of a delay. I, I get a lot of people sending me records saying like, "Oh, what do you think of this?" And I'm just maybe going to send this to Drum Code and stuff, and like that, like because a lot of people want to get in that record label because it's got sort of big following and stuff like that, and and like they're sending me records. I'm like, and some of them are really well produced, and I'm like. But, like, these are carbon copies of what you're hearing on there. You need to find your own voice and something with a bit of mojo. And that's how you're going to get somewhere. Not by just copying the same thing that you've you've heard. And I feel that's one of the problems with music is that people just make clones and copies of what they've heard before. And it's and it's, it's really quite depressing. And one of the other things as well I find quite depressing in the music industry is, like, people see to be so much more 
fooled by, like, the clubbers seem to be fooled by the hype and the videos and the Instagrams and all these things, when the music is so generic and boring. <laughs> and you're like, that's not what it's about. Yeah. You should be going to somebody because they play amazing music and write amazing music. Yeah. And sometimes I'll see some people and go, how is this happening? Because they're so... The, the, the music is so inspi- uninspiring. It's like, what the... F- I don't get it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strange thing. And, and especially, this is the thing. It's like, I always think of that record, Don't Believe the Hype. Because it's like, it's but people seem to. Because some of these artists are like fucking smashing it and their music is just... You're just like, I've heard this record a million times. Like, and it's just it's just the same thing over and over again. I totally agree with you, man. And and I think it's refreshing that there's people like you and I, and there's still a lot of other, other artists that are still trying to push forward and trying to write music. That's fucking amazing. I think, and I totally agree with you. I think especially in the last five years, there's been a lot of fodder just purely because I think what it is, is that the ways to release music is a lot easier now. So any Tom, Dick and Harry can start, like I fucking started my own label and it's a piece of piss, right? And you just, whatever, you just release your, release your records. And I think also what's happening is the label, the label, the, the mentality of record labels are changing where yes, I- the, the record labels are usually headed by a bigger DJ and the bigger DJ just releases music purely to boost their career. And and I think a record label doesn't work with the artists. Some, some do, and I'm not, I don't want to like group them all in together. There's some very good record labels out there. But there's also a lot of labels that just release music, release like two releases a week and just purely just releasing music 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 and you're just like there's there's no finesse there's no skill there's no like there's like running a record label yeah and running a record label for me is like i've not released anybody's records on purpose because i don't feel like the record label is at the point where i can give people enough to release their records if you know what i mean i want to build a team where i can make sure that people's records are going to do well. And that I want to find artists that I fully believe in and that can come and tour with me and that I can give them more than just putting their record online. Because at the end of the day, anyone can do that themselves now. And anyone can get a DJ promo. Like no, no fuck. No one listens to their promos anymore. Like Richie Horton responds to everyone's fucking promo clearly. And it's like, (laughs) He supports everything. Everything's supported by Richie Horton, even if it's like the girliest, cheesiest, crappy yeah. lads yeah. record ever. And, and I think this is the that's the issue. However, there are some fucking amazing producers out there, and yeah, and the hype. Going back to the hype that, that people believe the hype. I think what's happened, and I could be wrong. Um, but what's happened is that house music has become fashionable in the last five years again. And mm-hmm. in the last two, three years, techno is techno is the new tech house. I don't mean that in a horrible mm-hmm. way. Like 
there's a lot of techno fodder. Pop techno, I call it. Yeah, and and I I get it. It's fashionable, and when things are fashionable, it turns shit. And I it, yeah. I don't mean that in a horrible way. It's just the truth. However, the likes mm-hmm. of you, like Denton Pika, Debesque, all these boys are just yeah. writing really, really fucking good techno records. Like uh, my housemate in Detroit. Guy, he, he produces under the name called Oon. I've spoken about him a load on the podcast. His his music is unbelievable, like unbelievable techno, and he doesn't give a fuck about anything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he doesn't yeah, give yeah. a fuck, and <laughs> I, I think that's the thing: is that the hype is always going to be there when something's fashionable. If rock bands, if rock bands come out again and it get in rock music becomes fashionable majority of the people that go to clubs now will then start going to live live venues because a lot of people just follow their friends mm-hmm. so let's say for instance you've got one yeah. friend that that wants to go to creamfields then they're like okay well let's let's all go to creamfields like 10 of them probably yeah, yeah. 10 of them probably don't even have a clue who they're mm-hmm. watching and care who they're watching however they want to tweet about it. They want to Instagram it. They want to do yeah, it because they yeah. want to show everyone how much of a good time they are. So if somebody's yeah. popular, let's let's say, for instance, Adam, for example, had extremely successful career, if you know what I mean. Drum Code is fucking the biggest label around at this moment in time. How many of those actually knows all of the artists and listens to all of the records on, on, on Drum Code? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's yeah, just how it is. Uh, yeah. I think it's, as you say, I think it's because a lot of people are not massively, they're just following a brand and a leader. Like, I mean, the amount of times I've had a track, like, say it's been Drum Code or Cocoon or something, and, like, like it's been, like, somebody's posted a video or something, and, like, like, like people have wrote, oh, amazing tune. Thank you, Adam, for bringing me this. Not like that's a great tune by myself. <laughs> like, they, 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 like, they've not even mentioned, you know what I mean? It's like... Um, I, I, I mean, I remember somebody telling me once, like, I don't want to say who it is because I don't know if they want want the story, right? But somebody, I'll, I'll edit the names out here, right? <laughs> but one of my very good friends played a club and it was a very big club and he was playing after this very big DJ. And as he played, right, right, and he's a massive artist. I'll tell you who it is after, right? <laughs> and uh, a massive artist. And as the big DJ finished, everybody fucked off, right? And then he played, and then they get some. The guy like set set a full Facebook going, "Who is this guy that was on after such and such afterwards?" And had the cheek to play all his music. And my friend was like, "The big, he's like, it's my bloody own music. The only reason he knows it is because this big DJ plays it." And this idiot was slagging off my mate for stealing the big DJ's music, and it's only and it's his own music. And my mate was so incensed, he, he fucking messaged back. He's going, they're my records, you fucking prick. He said, this guy just happens to play them. I mean, that's just the height of not knowing anything. You know, yeah. it's... I, 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 you I, imagine that? I love that. That's fucking amazing. But I, I actually that's, I actually really like that about the industry, though, as well. And I think a lot of people kind of can talk shit about it. But I think at the end of the day is that if... For me, when I'm playing, I look at it like that. I look at it that half, more than half these people don't have a fucking clue who I am 
all they see is some fucking short dwarf bearded dude behind the, barely barely seeing over the decks unless unless they've actually put the, the step on my rider so i can see over the decks like <laughs> box like yeah literally the, the fucking beer box the bottle box um half these people don't even know who i am and i have to make sure that by the end of this show they all have to know who i am and they all have to yeah, yeah. they all have to leave going who the, i need to find who this person is and I, yeah. I i think that's the thing is that if you have your own sound and you have your own records and obviously when you play like you write a lot so you play a lot i don't know but do you play a lot of your own music i would say i play literally and my my, my sets consist of all my music all gary Beck's music <laughs> and all my brother's music and maybe the odd other two or three tunes. Do you know, I played a gig in Germany and it was like, I played two and a half hours. I can't remember where they set. I put, I, and I released the set somewhere and my brother sent me a message. He's like, do you realise you played no other music apart from me, yours and Gary's? And it was basically just two and a half hours of Scottish music. That was it. And I never even thought of that. I just looked at the tunes I wanted to play and played them. But the thing is, I'm spoiled. Because I've got, as I say, I've got my brother's stuff's amazing. Gary Beck's just incredible. And I've got my own stuff, which I'm writing a lot of. So I've just got all this music. So I barely need to even dip into anything. So because I'm just covered. I agree. I'm I'm, I'm kind of the same. Literally 95% mm. of the music I play is my own. And the, th- the, the annoying yeah. thing is, is that you get off. Like you get so many people you asking for like what idea is this? What idea is this? What idea is this? And you're like, it's never gonna come out. Like because you just can't <laughs> physically release this much music. It's like it's never coming out. Yeah, it's it's I, good, but it works. No, but, but it's just not good enough. I know, I know. It, it, one of the things as well, which is good, is the fact. I mean, I've got I've got a few tracks of Gary's that just that have never come out, and nobody else has got. And to say my brother's got a few tracks that he did under a different name and, and now he's went quite heavy and he's just like, nah, I'm never releasing it. And I get messages all the time. What's that record? What's that record? I'm like, it's my brother's I'm like, where can I get it? I'm like, sorry. And they're all like, ah, because it's a dynamite record, but it ain't coming out. Yeah, that's for me, that's also the best way to create hype on your records is that... But that's like the white label. That's like the modern version of a white label. It's totally. like track... It's really hard to get and a lot of people that are maybe their younger generation that really don't know and maybe they not might understand the white labels the white label used to be a very small batch of records that would get released that like they would maybe do a small print run and if you were in this record shop that weekend and you got one then you are lucky and then you might never ever see it again and it might never get a proper release so you would play you would hear big DJs playing it here and playing it there and you'd be like what is that and nobody would know what it was. And then you would maybe see it in a track list somewhere. But you could never get it. You could never get it. And you don't get white labels now because most things are released digitally. You still get some stuff like that. But the majority of the stuff you don't. And us having records that we don't release, that only we play, that's kind of like the modern mystique of a white label that, that I think really adds to like people are like, what's that fucking tune I want it? You're like, sorry. <laughs> it's the best feeling. It's the best. Yeah. It sounds awful. It sounds awful, but it's the best feeling. Just like having a record that everyone wants and that like no one has, and yeah, they yeah. can only come and see you to to hear it. Like 
for me, I, I like purposely try and I, I make like edits for my record, for my sets, edits of well-known records or something like that. And no one else has them. And then you kind of like start giving them to a few of your mates that are playing as well. And then they're playing it. And then people are like, what is this record? And for me, that's, that's the way records build hype massively. And yeah, yeah, that is a really clever way to kind of build promotion on a record that eventually will come out. Yeah. 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 No, that, that I think, I think that you're right. That is good. It's like, I think sometimes as well, you've got records that you've been playing for a good while and people just like, when's that coming out? When's that coming out? And then eventually like, Oh, it's coming out. You know what I mean? And they're like buzzing, you know, yeah. you'll see that a lot. And like, especially if you maybe sent like, like say you've got a record and like, say it's a record I've given to Adam or something. And like, he's got six months before he's got released it, but he's playing it in every single set. And people are like, what the fuck? And then eventually it'll, like, they'll see it getting promoted or something. They're like, oh, fuck, there it is, you know? They're like, they're buzzing to get it. And I think people don't realise they're frustrated at the time that they can't get it, but it's adding to the excitement and the kind of satis- they're satisfied when eventually it comes out. They're like, yes, I can finally get it, you know? I agree. I agree. Like, you don't usually get that that much as much anymore. It used, to, But that's the way it used to always be. There was records you could just never get your hands yeah. on. I remember back in like the early nineties, they would be like, like, cause I started DJing when I was like 10 and 11 years old. Um, and like, like prime school, like young, young, young school. And like, uh, like I was too young to go to all the raves, but I had all the tapes, the resurrection tapes and all that kind of stuff. And I would hear all these tapes and I would just hear all these records. And as I say, and I would go to, there's a record shop in Glasgow called 23rd Precinct. And I used to go there I, at my pocket money. I had £10 a week. And I would go, <laughs> I would go out to City Centre and I could buy one vinyl and a Kentucky Fried Chicken right, my bus ride home. And that was it, right? So <laughs> that was it. And I would go in every weekend to get a record, right? And I would go in every week, every weekend. And every now and again, I would just go in and I would be like, go, there's the pile. Because they all get to know you. You know what you yeah, like. Yeah, Give me the pile and you're flipping through. And just, I would just pull one white label off, put it down and go, oh, that's a fucking record. I've been these tapes for like six months. And, yes! You know, and it's, it was so exciting going home thinking, I've got this nugget of gold. And like your friends might not have come out with you that weekend. You'd be like, look what I got. And they go in the next week and they'd be like, have you got any more? And they're like, nah, we only got gone. Like 20 of them or something, you know? See, the good thing, the good thing for me with white labels when, when I used to buy vinyl is that in the record shop in the world's famous Western Supermare was a place called Spin Central. And uh, there was literally like no other house DJs in the area. Everyone would just play hard house or jungle. So every time I'd go in, there'd just be like a pile of white labels I could just go through. And it was like perfect. And they'd never go. (laughs) They'd never go. So it was like, okay, I, I I can get some good ones. But also... Going, going back, yeah, <laughs> going back to that, um, going back to that point about people not getting it. I think we live in a culture now where everything's so instant, and that everybody wants everything now. And yes, it, it's like I'll put a preview up on Instagram of like a record I'm working on, uh-huh. and literally, I say this is something that I'm working on, and it's not finished. Should I finish it? And then the next thing someone comments is like, when is it coming out? And like, 
read. It's probably never going to come out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, I know. It's but, just, I think it's in this culture. It's just, as you say, I think people just want everything and everything instantaneously. And I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a different world, man. See, what's your, what's your thoughts? I was actually talking to one of my friends earlier and she's like 26 and like used to work in the industry and then kind of got out of the industry or got out of the creative industry and is like now hating that she got out. But right. also is like, I'm 26. I don't have, don't have a fucking clue what I want to do. Like, I think I don't, I don't know what it used to be like back in the day, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. But I think now there's so much pressure on people to be successful and mm. realistically, is it like, what is success? And I think with social media, with Instagram, with everything else, success is have the flashy car, have the flashy watch, have all these nice things. But realistically, is that success? And I think coming into the music industry, there's a lot of people that see the success like fucking DJs posting private jets. It's the worst thing ever. It fucking annoys me. Because it's like, that's, you, you're, you're bringing people into the industry that just want that. Mm. And that just want to create music to fly on a private jet. Mm. If you I, know what I mean. I think the thing is, I think you're always going to have that type of person that wants to do things for the wrong reason. I don't think social media is to blame for that. I totally. Think, I, think, I, think if, I think if you're the type of person that wants to make music to be famous and rich, then you're always going to have been that type of person. That's probably going to have egged you on to do it when you see these private jets and all that. But I think the problem that social media creates is it's not real. It's yeah. not real. I think a lot of it is... Um, I mean, you have a lot of these people who are super, super successful, right? Don't get me wrong. But I think the problem with it, a lot of it that is projected is not reality. And people look at it as reality and look at it as something and they just see this. And even if it is reality, they don't see what's involved to get there. Yes. They just go, yeah, yeah. I want that. They don't realise that, like, it's like myself. They don't realise that, I mean, I started DJing when I was 10 years old. Then I started writing music when I was 23, 24. I didn't sign my first record label, record deal until 2008, which was Soma. And then I think it was, then it was a, a work with so Soma and then a few other labels. And then it was Cocoon in 2011, 12. And then it was signed to Drum Code in 2013, 14. And then I started making a living in 2014, right? So that was, I mean, that was so 2010. So, to, to, so till 2010, right? From, uh, no, sorry, from 1990 to 2014 was my journey, right? Yeah. And people just go, I see that, Wiley Tunes, and I want to go and DJ. You're like, whoa, chill out, chill out. Some people are lucky enough that they have a hat and whatever, but they don't realize the massive journey and work and stuff involved to get there. And I think social media, makes people just think, it makes them just want everything and want it right away. They don't see the whole journey and they don't see all the, they don't see the reality of a, of DJ life as well. They don't see all the ups and downs that you get on the way to having a successful career. And I don't think they real, quite realise what, 
what kind of hard work and heartache and ups and downs you need to have to get to that place. They just see that place and you think that person just went, oh, boom, and they're there. And it's yeah. so much further from the truth. No, I, 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 dude, I totally agree with it. And I've said it many times on this podcast and many times in life is like, and I'm the first person to, to hold my hands up and say that I, I do it as well, is that like, you kind of don't talk about the struggle. You don't talk about the real work that that actually has been putting in. You just show them the flashy lights, show people the flashy lights because it's kind of what you think that people want. I On my last tour at the beginning of the year, I did start doing like a vlog and kind of just like showing people the like day-to-day routine of just literally like touring every day. And like whether you've got the flu, whether you've got a throat infection, whether you've got whatever... You still have to get on that plane. You still have to wake up at f- five o'clock in the morning if you've gone to bed at four o'clock to get the plane. And then you still have to play for eight hours the next night. And I don't think people necessarily that get into the industry, don't get me wrong, a lot of people do. Don't A lot of people don't realize how much hard work goes into it, even while you're doing it. And we have the best fucking job in the world. Let's be honest. It's the best fucking job in the world. But... It's like, I think we're just workaholics. I think mm-hmm. anybody that becomes successful in any creative is somebody that just w- loves it so much that they don't care if they make money out of it. But when they do make money out of it, they take full advantage of it and just knuckle down and work even harder. Because for me, like I was always super regiment regimented with making music my full-time living mm-hmm. and the amount of work i put in was insane yeah but then when when it got to the point where i it was full-time i put in double the amount of work right and yeah, it gets yeah. to that and it's like you saying like now is like you're writing fucking a record every day like th- that's because you know where it could take you, right? You lo- you absolutely love it and you know that something could take you even further and make that this life is the rest for the rest of your life, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. f- your your next record could be the biggest record in the world. And for me, that kind of excites me. I don't I yeah. don't know about yeah. you. No, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. As you say, I mean, first off, we'll talk we'll get back to when you're saying about the life and the struggles and stuff like that. And, and don't get me wrong, as you say, you're right, you, you kind of stopped yourself and went, and it is the best job. But I think people don't realise, like, say if you've got two or three gigs in one weekend or whatever, right, and, like, you've played one gig and you're playing in Germany from fucking, like, six to eight in the morning, right, and then you're back and you've got two hours sleep and you're getting picked up, you go to the airport and you get dinner, and then you you have dinner at the hotel, lovely, it's great, you get back, and then you set your alarm to get up at four o'clock in the morning to go to the club to play again, and you're fast asleep, and your alarm goes off at four in the morning, and it's saying, and no matter how many times you do it, and your alarm goes, beep, 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 wake up, and you're just going, fuck, this is not right. <laughs> I'm in my bed, you know. It's You're exhausted and you've got, you can't turn up at that club going, oh, I'm tired. They're like, yo, let's do this. And they, so you've got to have your game face. So people, I mean, all my friends, you were like, oh, where are you waiting this weekend? Oh, oh, it's a hard life and all that. And I'm like, like, I'm not complaining, but they don't know the fucking reality of it. Totally. I remember I took one of my friends away. And like over, I was over in America, and I think I was playing. I was playing output with Alan Fitzpatrick on the Friday, and then I was playing with Adam on the Saturday in Miami. 
And we, I was on till, oh, I was on till, I think about four o'clock, and my flight was at eight o'clock in the morning, right? And it was four o'clock, and then I'm like, shit, man, the airport's like an hour away. So it got to like five o'clock, and I'm like, we need to go now. And my friend was like, fuck off. And I'm going, no, we need to go now, like now. So we got there. I mean, and what's one other thing? If you're at a part, if you're at the club and you're having a few drinks and you're thrust out of that environment into a normal environment, you're like, oh shit. <laughs> it's like, like, so we're at the airport and like get to the airport, we get to Miami, and like then we go for a couple of drinks, a couple of hair of the, the dogs in Miami. Don't get you know, it's great, lovely to be in Miami, and then we go back and we're both exhausted, and then literally like I think I was on like maybe 12 or one o'clock. So I can't remember what time. So we got there and we literally, when we fell, fell asleep and then it was the alarm. And I was like, right, we need to go. And that other person was just like, I'm okay, I can't go. I'm so tired. I'm so, I'm so tired. And they were like exhausted. And I just looked at them and I went, every weekend. And they just went, oh, they just got, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then like after that, they were kind of like, all right, okay, fair enough. It's like, but... Also, on another note, when you're talking about the work ethic and stuff like that, um, I find at the beginning when I started doing it, um, I used to do construction. And what I did was, is I worked two days a week doing construction and the other three days a week, because I earned okay money. So, and I earned enough to just pay the bills and no more. I had no life, right? Yeah. And the other three days, three, three, four, four days, I would be in the studio, right? And I would go up at like eight o'clock or something in the morning, have my breakfast, and then I would be on that computer, right? And I would be on it all fucking day. And then sometimes my partner would come home and we eat dinner and she would go to bed and I would put the headphones on till like two or three in the morning, right? And the first, I remember the first day I got my computer, I bought, I had like a PC and it, the hard drive blew up on me and I lost all my stuff and I was like, fuck this. Plus it was just, PC was crashing all the time. It was like, it was giving me technology rage. So I went out and I got, a, I needed a new car. So I'd already applied for a loan for a new car. They said yes. <laughs> but I thought, fuck it. I'll just patch up the old car. And I spent all the money that was for the car on a new computer. So I bought myself a big tower unit. And the first day I got that, no, oh, sorry, it came at night. It came at night. It was the brand new ones that, uh, uh, the ones that ran on the new Intel processors, yeah. right? So I got that. This is 2007, and it came at night, set it all up, and in the morning, I got up, ate half past eight or something in the morning, and I sat down, and I was sitting there, and I, like, sitting in my boxer shorts, didn't even get ready, and I was sitting there writing music, and I was just sitting, drinking water, like, that was, didn't eat anything all day, just, like, obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. And then at one point, I'm like, what time is it? And it was four o'clock in the morning. I've been on the computer <laughs> 20 straight hours and I had to force myself to go to bed. Yeah. Four, I was like, I need to go to bed. And it's just like, I just couldn't drag myself away from it. And I think it's that kind of dedication and being obsessed about it that I think eventually leads to you having that sixth sense about music and understanding your gear and really musically just developing your brain. Because see, when you think, when you think about it, right? It's my dog barking. When you think about it, when you kind of listen to a track, it's amazing the amount of things that you've got to understand what's going on, all the automation, how everything's sonically balancing, the mastering, the, the musicality, the groove, the drums, the atmosphere. It's 
all these things going on and you've got to really understand them and be in control of them all. And it's, it's, it's amazing what's actually, what's actually happening. Um, and that really only comes from just, just knocking your pan in and doing it constantly, I think. I agree. It's like anything, isn't it? It's that 10,000 hours that people yes. say. And although... I'm pretty sure it's that we do a lot more than 10,000 hours. Yeah, yeah, but, easy. But I think it's true. It's just, you just have to do it. And mm-hmm. yep. there's a, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day um, and they quoted like Yoda. And it was, <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> I, can't, I think it was a book, audio book. And Yoda, Yoda says, there is no try. You either do or you don't. Right, okay, and right. And that's the thing is like, you just fucking do it. Or... Yeah. You there's there's no like in between. I'm trying to make a good record. I'm trying to do that. You fucking do it, and yeah. you you don't leave that computer. And whether you do you whether you have to leave the computer and then come back the next day to realize what you did was shit or what you did was good <laughs> is is a different story. But sometimes you have to. But moving yeah. forward, release wise, what have you got coming up? Yeah, I've got so I've got the I've got an EP coming out on filth and acid. Um, so uh, it's quite a strong one. It's quite a kind of kind of big room record. So I've got that happening, and and then obviously I'm I'm just tying up this album on on uh, needed pains on Dense and Peak. Oh, label. sick! Is it coming out on there? Uh, uh, yes, it's coming out on there. And one of the main reasons it's coming out on there is because Alex, who one part of Dense and Pika, who I just love working with. Alex is just sound, and there's just never any grief, never any, oh, what about this or that? It's just like, like I'd sent him some tracks, and it got to the point, everything was sending me, he's like, everything you're sending me is sick. Everything. It's, he's like, we should do an album. And I'm like, well, let, let, let's talk about this first. And he just went, anything you want, do it. I don't care. I don't care what you want or what you want to make. Just do it. Because oh, I, I love everything you're doing, and I'm like, that's what that's the creative freedom you want for doing it. And it's just it's like it's so easy to work with them, and so I've been allowed to pretty much make whatever I want to make. It's not, I mean, don't don't get me wrong, I'm lucky that what I'm making is sort of within the framework of what they're doing, but there are a few records that I've sent them recently that I would say are out with that. But I think they're that strong that he's just like fucking sick, sick, sick. Love all of it. So it's been great because I've not, I've not really felt that when I sat down, I'm like, oh, I can't make that. That'll not fit. So I think that's what's really helped me get in the groove. So I'm really excited about that. Well, go, go, um, going back, going back to like talking about record labels, I think mm-hmm. needed pains in the mm-hmm. techno landscape is actually one of the record labels that has a sound but lets the artists do what they want to do because yes there's each each time they release a record it is it some of them are similar some of them aren't some of them are worlds apart like mm. i wouldn't necessarily say that my sound aligns with any of the artists on there mm. just because mm. i'm not i don't play as hard i don't write as hard music as a lot of artists on there but i still signed quite a few records on there and yeah. Talking to Alex, like I send him a record, and I remember the the last EP I sent him. He was like, "I really like this," and he was like, "What about like working on like the vocal a little bit more?" And I was like, "Well, it kind of works. Like I can, but it works." 
And then literally like 10 minutes later, he's like, no, don't listen to me. It's fucking great. And, <laughs> and, and I think that's the thing I like is that they yeah. almost give you that, that freedom. Yeah. Whereas for me, if I was trying to sign to a mate, maybe another record label, it, it's kind of like you have to fit in with their sound. Yes. I, I always remember, I always remember uh, I was, I'd seen a talk that James Holden did from Boulder Community. Yeah. And he was like, and he said that he, well, one of the reasons he started Boulder Community is because he was fed up with people trying to tell him how to change his records when yeah. he was signing them. Yeah. And he's gone, and he went, this is my fucking record. If you want a record that does that, go and write one, yeah. you know? And he said, so I thought, fuck that. I want to, I'm starting my own record label because nobody's telling me how to write my music. Definitely. And I, and I think that's why Boulder Community at one point in time was so huge because it was just like this, like, it was like, it's like the TV shows that have been really popular, like Breaking Bad, is, was in, was incredibly successful. Now, Breaking Bad apparently breaks so many of the rules yeah. that make TV shows work. Like you can't have like the evil guy being the sort of hero at the same time and all this dark stuff. Apparently, this, the things that they do in that are things that a network usually says no to. Yeah. But because they were allowed to do it, they created something so unique that was so successful. So when people get out the way of the people that are creating then things are great. Same as The Wire. Apparently, one of the reasons The Wire was so successful is because they started making The Wire and they were like, oh, fuck, it's not going to be that great. They didn't think it was going to be successful, so they just left them alone. And then The Wire managed to do what they wanted and then people started jumped on it. By that time, it was a success, but it was because they were allowed to do what they want. And I think this is one of the reasons why some of the other record labels, they're starting to sound so generic because they're, they are in control of what people make or people are trying to fit what sounds within those, those boundaries. They're not letting people just do what they want. Totally so agree. Totally a agree. uniform sound coming in. I, um, and, and I think that's one of the reasons, probably why, as I say, I've found it so easy to write this album for Alex and for, De- and for the label is because they're not in my road. They're yeah. just going, just fucking do what you want, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Do what you want. And I'm like, yes. And I'm loving it. No, I, I love that. I, I'm listening to an audiobook at the moment called Creative Inc., which I don't know if you've heard. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's the guy that owned or was like the the starter of Pixar animation. All right, okay. It's really fucking interesting. Like, if you if you get the chance, check it out. I'm only like halfway through, but they they have a process. They were when Pixar started. What they thought is that the bosses at, at the studio should be the ones telling the producers and the directors and the artists how things should be. And mm-hmm. what they realize is that when, when they just let the artist and the producer or the art, the, the whole artistical team do what they want to do, but have critical meetings. So have, have meetings that give critical feedback, like construct not in the road, not get in the way not getting in the way and not telling people, oh, we have to do this. We have to do this. Like we have to do that. Like we need to make this much money. So you need to make a record like this, or you need to make a film like this or whatever. He was like this. He was like, what the, the creativity that people came out with was unbelievable when, when their handcuffs or when their hands aren't tied behind their back. But I also think the thing is, is that as producers, I, 90% of the producers I know 
hate to be told what to do. Yeah, yeah. Fucking hate to be told what to do. <laughs> and if you can give crit- like constructive criticism, I think it's, that's the best possible thing. If, if, mm. if Alex came to you and was like, dude, this is fucking great, mm. but could you try changing this here? Because I think it could make the record better. Mm. Right. You like for me, if he said that, I could go away and 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 kind of digest it, and then be like, okay, let's try it. it I, I'm all for making this record better. However, when somebody says it doesn't sound like our sound, you need to make a record like yeah, what we yeah. do. It's fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like what, one of the things we're talking about people getting out of the way and just letting you do it. I mean, one of the best examples is Joe Rogan's podcast, right? Yeah. It's one of the most successful and listened to things on the planet. Can't remember how many, it was It was like 90 million people listened to his uh, Alex Jones one or yeah. something. It's crazy the amount of downloads and listens he gets to. And then one of the reasons that's become so successful is because nobody's telling him what to fucking do. Yep. He's just sitting down and doing what he loves. Now, if somebody was to get in the way of that or trying to manipulate it, it would never be. Because he like he talks about that a lot, saying that like like when he used to work at this and like like certain shows, he said I'd have to go for meetings, I would have people tell him what, what he do. He's like, fuck that. You know, he said when he signed the Spotify deal, right? And basically all he did was license it, right? He'd get no creative thing over him at all. It's just that license it, it makes him some good money, which he fucking deserves. Yep, totally. that, that podcast is an amazing fucking set. I love it. I listen Same. to it every fucking day. Same. And if he's not one released ones that day, I go back and listen to the ones I've not listened to before. And he said that is when he when one of the first things he says, like he said, Spotify have been amazing. He says the only thing is. They asked me one question. They went, "Who are you going to honor? What? Who are you going to have on next?" And he's like, "Whoa, right? <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone." You know, it just fuck off. That's not how. That's not how we do it. He says, yeah. I'll get on who. You know what I mean? He's going to get on who. He wants to get on. But that is what I think. That's one of the most successful shows that's ever been, and it's because nobody has been in his way. He said, "Complete creative freedom to grow and expand and do what he wants." And I think that's. I mean, as you say, nobody, nobody. No artist wants to be told what to do. But I mean, when you, if you think about it, you're trying to be creative. Being controlled is not being creative. Nice. So if somebody's controlling you, that you that are therefore not being creative, you're being controlled. Yeah. It's a different thing. I also think is there's that there's a happy balance, which also comes in on I'm halfway through with that on this like creative ink book. And it talks about the beast and the creativity or something like that. And the okay. beast is like the business, if you know what I mean. And mm-hmm. The other side of it is the creative artist. And at some point they need to meet in the middle somewhere, somehow to then take it to that next level. We we all need the beast. We all need that record label. We all need social media now. We all need something. Um, but there comes a point where you're like, who's going to win this time round and who's going to win this time round? And then that's when you get an artist that like, Mike, like I've conformed with my sound 100%. Like back in the when, especially when I used to sign to Dirty Bird, I would write Dirty Bird records, if you know what I mean. I'd be writing like more 4 4 techno y stuff on the side, and then I'd write a Dirty Bird record because it I, it gave me my career, if you know what I mean. And I, I'm the first person to hold my hands up. Dirty Bird gave, gave me a huge part of my career or allowed me to have a career. Um, 
But then it's just about that happy balance where you have to be fully creative, but you, it's also accepting the fact that, and this is for me, it might not be for everyone else. I know there's a lot of artists out there that just purely do not give a fuck about the business and just some of them are successful. Some of them are not as successful. Let's say Burial, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Burial, from what I can imagine, does not give a fuck. And he he put that, he did that big um, story about or essay or interview about how he just doesn't care about social media, doesn't care about the business, just writes music and he's un- un- unbelievably successful for it. But there, that for me, there's that happy balance where you have to kind of give and pull a little bit to get to where I want to go, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And to get yeah, to I where, but I think going back to the, to the, to the needed pains is that I, I really think that that label, if they keep doing what they're doing and they keep just believing in the artists, cause they're, they're building a really nice foundation of artists. And I yes. think I think it could be really interesting because they're fucking they're, they're great guys they're great producers, yeah. and it, it comes across on the label. So I'm really interested to hear the album as well because I think it's a nice home for it. Yeah, no, no. As I say, I'm 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 pretty chuffed with it. Definitely, I think it's I think it's a great home. And as you say, you you work with so many people over the years, and it's 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 been. I think one of the things is as well. I'm kind of like. I've I've known Alex for quite a long time. Like I knew Alex before I even signed to Drum Code. Like what had happened was I wrote a track on an EP on Soma, mm-hmm. and it was uh, Os- o- o- Occam's Razor, and there was a track on it called Work It, and it had a pretty meaty kick drum, right? Like the windows fucking shake, and it was Alex and said, "This is back when he he was still doing the hyper, which is Alex Jones in the hyper color, but yeah. he just started dancing Vika." Um, and I was down in London at the time and like he'd sent a couple of messages back and forward and he's like, oh, do you want to go for a pint? And we ended up going and hanging out and all that and back to the flat and listening to this and all that. And we, so we'd become sort of friends and then like I'd sign to drum code and then they signed to drum code and then they'd be meeting each other at gigs and all that. And they're fucking sound boys, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I got on with Alex so well. And then he started the label. And I think for a while, I don't think what I was making, as I say, I was... I had a period between the Lost and the Silk Roads and all that that I didn't quite know where I wanted to go. I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm kind of about. Like, I can't write, I don't want to write these type of tracks forever, but I don't really know where I want to go. Yeah. And then I started doing Alias with my brother. And then it was like, oh, like, I start, I just instantly just started navigating another wee path. And then the, then the tracks I started making after that, I think, then started suiting more of what they were doing. And then I wrote a couple of things and then I sent it to him. And then slowly but surely, as I really got a foundation and what excuse me, and sure what I started and what I started to want to write. Then when I started to fit the label, had a couple of things out. And then slowly but surely he was like, Dude, I'm loving everything you're right. Let's work together. But we were friends first. Yeah. And then and I think that's what makes it really easy because it's not business and then a friendship develops. There's been a friendship and then the business is just like, it's a great thing that we can work and do this project together. So I think that makes it really, really easy to, yeah. to deal with each other. Do you know what I mean? I totally agree. And I think it's also about ha- having no expectations um, mm. of of people in, in the industry, in life generally. But for me, I, I've always in the past when I've signed records to record labels, I have this expectation of the record label 
And I think when there's a relationship that is, isn't business, it's, it starts off as a friendship and then turns into business on the side. Those expectations kind of go out the window and you don't really give a fuck. You're just doing it for a laugh and just doing it to see what happens. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about, about this industry that we can do that if we, if we want. I think, I think as you say, it's not as, yeah, not expectations, but we're both doing it for the passion of what we're doing. Like he's loving my music. I'm loving his attitude in the label rather than wanting to get something out of each other. Totally. He's like, fuck, I love your music, mate. Let's do something to label. I'm like, mate, I love your label. Let's do something that. Rather than, I want something from you and you want something from me. Yeah. That's not the way it is, you know? Um, it's the same. It's like, I mean, it's like one of one of the other, like, like Gary's, like Gary Beck's one of my really good friends, you know? And I've known him for a long, long time. And I think, I think he's done one remix for me. I've done one remix for him. And I've known Gary since 2014 or 2015. And me and Gary are really, really close. We speak a lot on the phone and love the boy to bits. We got on so, so well. And I think one of the reasons is, is because, don't get me wrong, we have done the odd thing musically together, but I think it's because in a world where everybody wants something from each other, we're just friends, really good friends. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's how... The, like our uh, friendships developed that we, we got on so well. Do you know what I mean? I was at his wedding and stuff like that. And do you know what I mean? We, we talk all the time. So, and I think that's one of the things as well as I think a lot of times in music, I think people like they want something from you. So they're a friend for that reason. Or do you know what I mean? When you're hot, they want something and they want a remix or whatever. And, and like you start to see through that stuff really, really quickly, you know, and true friendships build up because you maybe have a mutual respect from each other, but you can tell that you don't just want something out of it. I think it's the hidden agenda thing. Right? Yes. And I think at, at some point, most people can kind of go through that in life where they see what somebody has and then wants that. So they kind of, try and befriend them right um mm. but i think you're right the the best friendships are the ones that just come out of being organic and just fucking getting on with each other like for me as much as i've got some extremely close friends in this industry like i'd rather be friends with people outside of this industry <laughs> yeah most most of your real friends and i tell you something else it keeps you very very grounded because it's like 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 one of the things is I have never I have never had any form of ego whatsoever. Like I go away, I DJ the weekends, and I come back and I hang out about with my friends, and they treat me no fucking differently. They will rip me to shreds, take the piss out of me. I'm still my daft Harvey. It's, it makes no difference. Don't yeah. get me wrong. When a big show, they're coming up with oh, excited. But they won't treat me any fucking differently. If I step out of line, I'm getting told. Do you know what I mean? And it's they're only like, they're only coming to your show to drink your rider. That's all they cut. They don't give a fuck about you playing music. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, like, and I, I think it, I think it helps keep you grounded. And I even say this as well. Like sometimes, like sometimes if I write music and like, uh, like I'll be speaking to people and I'm like, like say if I write a song and I think it's quite a good way to be as well. If I write a song and I'm like, that's fucking amazing. For me, I'm not like, I'm fucking amazing. I think once you once I wrote a track, the track is it's, own thing and it's yes. just another bit of music whether i wrote it or not is irrelevant so if i write something it's and i think fuck that shit hot i don't think i'm fucking shit hot i wrote that i just go that's a shit hot bit of music and whether i wrote it or not it's completely irrelevant yeah. to me 
the music becomes its own thing. Totally. And I think then that way you don't really get up your own arse or whatever. You just write your tunes and then you're really proud of what you've done, but it, it becomes its own thing, I think. I do, mate, I, I, I've said exactly the same thing on this podcast, that when I, I went through a stage early on in my career where I wanted everything to be to like be the biggest record and I want every time I release a record I want it to be a hit and then over the last couple of years more so like 2019 2020 I've been like these records aren't mine when they get released at the public's the public can do what they want they can choose what they want if it does well it does well but at the end of the day it's not my record anymore yeah. and it's if it's good if if it's good and it doesn't do well it's still a good record if, yes, it's, yes. if it's good and it does well, it's a good record that did well. And if it's bad, I shouldn't have fucking put it out. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's the same thing as well. It's like, no matter how many times, like, I mean, like, no matter how many times I'll go away and stuff, I'll be like, like, I see I'll go to a club and like, like people that like say maybe, people at the dinner or people that will maybe want to say hello afterwards and they'll be oh this record that record blah 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 and I'm like I, I'm like I still find that really bizarre and I'm like oh it's lovely but it's like I forget because that's not why I get into it when I the only thing I do love is like when I'm out and I'm DJing and I'm playing the records and I see them respond to it like I love the yeah. fact that I can invoke that emotion and energy and I love feeling the tune throwing the crowd but if I come off and people are like oh my god that's amazing I'm like oh what like because that's not the way my mind works and what I got in it for I get in it to make music to make people dance and make them happy and bring joy to them and that's amazing but when it gets to that point when people are like oh see this and see that and, oh, can and they start talking it's just like it's fucking bizarre to yeah. me still you know and I've been doing it for a long time and I think it's probably it's just because a lot of that is not the reason that, as I say, it's just that raw energy and to and fro from the crowd that that's why I get into it. No, I agree. I agree. It's it's strange, isn't it? Because we're lucky that that dance music is not, obviously in certain situations it's not, but it's still quite small in the percentage of how many people go to clubs and how many people listen to clubs. and. Yeah we're lucky that you can walk down the street and still live your normal normal yeah. day. And you're not this kind of crazy famous person. If you know what I mean, I'm still like, yeah. even like Calvin, let's be honest, I'm pretty sure he could walk down the street in most situations and yeah, yeah, yeah. get away with it. Right. Um, and I think that's the beautiful thing. It is weird. It's like, for me, I'm quite a quiet person when I'm in a big group of people and it's weird where after a show when everyone wants to say hi and everything, it's amazing. Don't get me wrong. It, and I would never, I would never just come off stage and just let like leave people and not say hi to anyone. Cause it's just fucking rude, but it is a strange world. Cause we, we spend our lives in a dark room by ourselves <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and we're, we're, we're sometimes we're the only people we see and the only people we talk to is ourselves for like weeks upon end because we're trying to fucking finish records. Um, and then you go and play in front of thousands of people and everyone wants to like shake your hand or hug you or whatever. And it is a, it is a very strange world, but we're lucky, man. We're really lucky. Yeah, the thing is as well, this is the other thing that I think people don't realize as well. It's like, it's a very strange lifestyle as far as like all weekend, 
you're like literally traveling and you're by yourself like 80 percent 90 percent of the time yeah. and then there's a small window where you're crammed in the hundreds <laughs> of thousands of people like and everybody wants to say hello or dance or whatever and then boom suddenly you're alone again for like 15 hours traveling yeah. so it's this really weird balance socially of being really by yourself and traveling all lonely and then suddenly loads of people and then you're back and then you're in the studio by yourself all this time just a it's, I think it's a really strange balance mentally to deal with of lots of people then no people, you know? Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I, I, I've I never said this to anyone apart from like my close mates, but it's, I don't know if you've ever had this, but you're at an airport mm-hmm. and you know when you walk through the, the doors and like you see like families waiting for their like loved ones and shit like that. <laughs> and like that, like that is my one piece of joy that like sometimes it, I, I, it could make me cry when I'm like, cause I'm so fucking tired. I've like not slept. I know I have to like find the driver at the airport, but then I walk through those doors and you see like all, all these like mums, dads, grannies, yeah. aunts with their signs at the airports. And it's like, that's, that's, they don't have a clue that I've just played in front of 10,000 people. <laughs> they don't have a clue. All they care about is seeing their mum or their dad or their brother or yeah. their sister. And I think that's the beautiful thing is that we get, I like, it's something that I notice a lot in, we travel around the the world kind of being amongst so many people that just live a kind of normal lifestyle. And it's beautiful to watch from the outside, but yeah. we we don't live a normal lifestyle at all. It's not normal. Yeah, I, I always laugh. So when you come back, see when you come back to Glasgow Airport, <laughs> there's always like, like, because I'll drive to the airport and park. You come back, you come to Glasgow Airport, and there's like a TV, and it's like the TV is like got a camera, and all the people are waiting. It's like waiting and and like arrivals, and it says who's waiting for you. And I always think, fucking nobody, nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody fucking waiting for me. My car's been fucking flying Scott Carpark. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, bloody fuck off with that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it, it is a lonely lifestyle. And I think we all, not all of us, I know a lot of people struggle with it, to be fair. But mm-hmm. for me, like, I like being alone. I, I like doing stuff by myself. Like, but you, I, you get used to your, you get used to your own company. You Definitely. fucking have to you get have, used to yourself. You have to. Yeah. You have to get used to it. I mean, when uh, one of the things I realized I was doing is my local up there and they do really good food and stuff like that. And I was in the habit of years is like, cause I'm just used to it. I would always just take my laptop up, set it down, get a bite to eat and have a cup of pints and watch Netflix or yeah. something. And I'm like, then one day I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? So I stopped. And when I would go up, I would order food at the bar and sit at the bar so that I'd start, would be forced to start to get yeah. to know everything properly. And then once I started doing that, like, I, I like very, really, ever go up with a laptop or a phone I'd go up now I'd go up to see everybody I'm not going up there and see who's up there for a bit of socialising but it was because I was so used to just going somewhere in my own where there would be nobody that I would know that I would have to entertain myself and I'd be like fuck I don't like that's not normal you you need to like like not if there is somewhere that you can go on a regular basis and once I've done that now like as I say the pub for me is like it's a real social thing to go up I've got lots of friends up there and do you know what I mean? I th- I think that's re- that's really nice because it happened to me in in Detroit when I moved to Detroit. I moved there. I had like a couple of friends there, but like one of my best mates has three kids that 
is and like runs a business that I barely ever get to see. And then another one of my mates that lives there lives like an hour away and it does crazy work as well. So you're like, you move to this like big city and you're like, I don't know anyone. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, I, I have, I have to make friends. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I ha- or I have to do, I have to make an effort with people because yeah. otherwise, although I'm fine with being by myself, I'm going to tour on the weekend. I'm going to play three, four shows, two, three shows by myself. And then I'm going to come back and sit in a studio by myself. And then I'm going to go to the gym and be by myself. And cause I'm going to have my headphones in and not going to talk to any fucker. And then you're just like, Oh shit. Until I get back to England where my like real close friends are, or until I go to certain cities where I've got close friends, I'm just by myself. And it's, that's not healthy. It's not no, hel- it's not healthy. No, because especially when your job is mainly being in the studio, which is not being with anybody else. Most people, even if they're not that social, are forced to interact with people on a daily basis with their jobs. Because mm-hmm. you have to go out, get public transport, go to an office or or be out in building sites or whatever, or work in showrooms. So they're forced to do that. Yeah. So if we don't force ourselves to have a social life, <laughs> then we're just, oh, the only people we're going to see is fucking promoters and people dancing in clubs at the weekend. And they're the fucking then, worst. Like, no one, no one wants to be best friends with a promoter. Come on. Like, let's be honest. As much as I love all the promoters that book me, we don't want to be best friends with promoters. Because <laughs> they want mates rates then, and then you never want to give <laughs> mates rates. <laughs> Oh dear! Oh, mate, we've just done an hour and forty-five minutes. Okay. Um, let's let's wrap this up. Uh, mate, that was fucking amazing. Thanks for coming on. Um, how can people follow you on Instagram? You just Instagram. type my name in, and you'll find me. No problem, man. Just Harvey Mackay on Instagram. Harvey Mackay, dude. Thank you. Is it Harvey? Yeah. Is it Harvey Mackay or Harvey McKay? It's, it's spelled McKay, but it's actually pronounced McKay. But you know what, man? Don't worry, I've given up. Sometimes I'm sorry, man. Go, sometimes I even go to hotels to say, what's the name? And I go, Harvey McKay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, but it's pronounced, it's one of these ones in Scotland. Uh, McKay is, is spelled M-C-K-A-Y or spelled M-C-K-A-Y. You miss out the A, but it's usually both, they're both pronounced McKay. But it's... It's, it's easy, man. It's not easy. But yeah, Har- if you want to yeah, type my name in, it's spelled Harvey McKay, M-C-K-A-Y, <laughs> pronounced McKay. <laughs> uh, sorry about getting your name wrong for the last, like, know. two years. It's, it's been that long now that it's not wrong. <laughs> it's just a slightly alternative version of pronunciation. Right, mate. Keep safe. Hopefully we can catch up soon. Um, and thank okay, you for being man. on. Big love, man. See you soon. And that is a wrap harvey mckay people hope you enjoyed that one i loved it if you did enjoy it please give us a little review below give us a little thumbs up whatever um share it send it to your mum send it to your mates whatever thank you for listening see you very soon everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.